Thanks for tuning in to the Crew at UGA podcast. We are so glad to have you with us. Crew exists to call students to know God, grow in their faith, and go to the world. If you would like to get more connected with Crew at UGA, or if we can help you in any way at all, go to the show notes, click on the link, or follow us on Instagram at Crew at UGA. All right, let's get started. Okay, so last week Alan started our series in, um, in Psalm 86, if you remember. Uh, he, he really introduced us or showed us the character of God um, on display in the, in the Old Testament. He started in, uh, in, in Psalm 86, verse 15, just a little recap. God, who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness to a thousand generations. This is who God is. This is the God that governs the universe with justice, yet he invites us to know him personally, to have a relationship with him. In fact, having a relationship with him is why we were all created. And so on that line, why do you think people don't know God or don't have a relationship with him if that's why they were created? What separates people from knowing God personally in this way and knowing his love? Well, our passage tonight is actually going to start by answering that question. And the answer isn't pretty. But it's necessary that we start here if we're to really grasp and experience the beauty of our phrase, but God, in the passage. So I'm, I'm going to start in uh, it's, it's Ephesians 2. It's going to be on the screen. You can look on your phone or your Bible if you'd like. So Ephesians 2. And you were dead. In the trespasses and sins in which, you, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So that was the ESV translation. Here's another translation. We're just going to continue to read this. This is the NLT. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. So as we read these verses, what grabbed you? What stood out? What thoughts do you have about these pas- this, this passage? What feelings, what emotions did you have as we read? It's not good. But what answer did this passage give to us to our question of why people are separated from God? These verses describe the condition of every human being apart from God. This is everyone before having a relationship with God and before trusting or having faith in Jesus. The passage, it starts by telling us that we were dead. Though we all had physical life walking around, we had no real life in us. We were spiritually separated from God. 
And this death, as the pastor told us, existed because of our own sin nature. So sin in the Bible, you may be familiar, may not, that's totally okay. Sin in the Bible is defined as rejecting God or building your life around anything other than him. That's sin. So though God had a perfect design for us, which was to know him, to love him, to be in relationship with him, we saw that and we rejected. We said no. Or maybe, or yes and other things. The first people to ever do this was Adam and Eve. The first people that God ever created to know him. Back in Genesis chapter 3, the very first book of your Bible, it tells of this. Adam and Eve, they rejected God's loving care for them. And they insisted on their own selfish desires and they chose selfish independence. In Genesis 3, they were deceived by the serpent and they followed their desires away from God. And as the first humans, since then, their disobedience has been inherited by everyone. In Romans, it talks about this. Romans 5, 12 says this. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. You see, since the beginning, everyone apart from God follows the evil one as their, as their commander, and they are ruled by their own selfish desires. Everyone. We lived our lives in active rebellion against God and passive indifference to God. We actively rejected him, and we passively rejected him, choosing to build our lives on anything else other than him. This was true for me. I remember, so I grew up in a Christian home and um, had great parents, went to church every Sunday, and I like knew all the right things. And I learned how to keep up and to look good on the outside. But I was still extremely far from God. I rebelled against him in these ways. I, I lived to be extremely put together to the outside world so that people would look, look at me well and, and praise me. But yeah, I was horribly prideful, I was deceitful, and I was controlled by selfish desires. I actually used God and used Christianity to, to kind of build a platform for myself, for me to stand on so that other people can look at me and say, that's a good guy. He's got the right answers. He knows what life's about. But yet, I, I, built, my, I built my life on people's approval but I was so insecure and again wrecked by my selfish, sinful desires and just lived in, in a secret about all of that. I said that I love God, but I had no real love of God in me. I was dead. And regardless of maybe your spiritual background or maybe you've never even heard of this before, and this is all really new for you, I would imagine there isn't much convincing needed to admit, at least to yourself, that you've sinned at least one time. That you've missed the mark of perfection as sin is also defined. We do this. We know this. We 
have rejected God, and still we experience the propensity towards rejecting God every single day. With no faith or trust in Jesus, this is everyone. This was me. This was you. We were against God. We were enemies. We were dead. And because of this, we were destined to spend eternity away from him. So this is bleak. It's not pretty. It's depressing. It stings even. Because our problem isn't that we're spiritually sick or confused or ignorant or even that we were bad. No, we were dead. We had no life in us. It's much darker than we want to admit. We were enemies of God without hope in the world. We were dead. So do you feel that? Do you feel humanity's brokenness, pain, the hopelessness of humanity, maybe even your own hopelessness and brokenness? Do you feel it? Luckily, it isn't the end of the story. The passage goes on. The story goes on. Picture it this way. Verses 1 through 3 create a dark canvas that we must stare into. We see it. It's ugly. It's chaotic. It's bad. But, starting in verse 4 of Ephesians 2, sentence after, a beautiful diamond is put in front of that dark canvas, and we see its beauty for what it is. Though the diamond is itself, it's beautiful, but put in front of the hopelessness of verses one through three, it shines even more radiantly. And it's here, in verse four, that we see our but God. Here it is. But God. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. This is wonderful truth. This is beautiful. We were in our most pitifully heinous state before God, but God. We were enemies, but God. We were dead, but God. We were enslaved to sin, but God. We were meant to spend eternity away from him, but God. As the, recent, as the modern hymn proclaims, our sins, they are many, but his mercies are more. So here in what we just read, four through seven, here we not only see how God saved us, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, but we learn why. Why did God save us? But God being rich in mercy. This is why God saved us, because he is rich in mercy. Mercy is essentially who God is. It comes natural to him. This echoes what Alan talked about last week. This is how God revealed himself in Exodus. This is what the psalmists repeat over and over and over. And this is why God saved us, because he is rich in mercy. 
Dane Ortland, he's a pastor and author of um, a book called Gentle and Lowly. And, and in this book, he writes this. God is a billionaire in the currency of mercy. And the withdrawals that we make as we sin our way through life cause his fortune to grow greater, not less. When God shows mercy, he is acting in a way that is true to himself. Mercy is why God saved us. Because of the great love with which he loved us. Even when we were dead enemies without hope in this world, God showed us mercy. He loved us because he loved us. And that's why he chose to save us. And so what is the, the saving act that, that we see in, in verses 4 through 7? How were we saved? What was the ultimate, ultimate expression of God's mercy shown to us? For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, to save us. Here's another but God in the Bible. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's Romans 5, 8. See, Jesus came down. Jesus came down, took on humanity's nature, and yet was without sin. Jesus did not reject God. He did not run away. He, did, he lived his life to do the will of his Father. Jesus lived a perfect life, and he died the death that we all deserved. He took our place. For what purpose? To show sinners the love of God and to do what was needed to bring them into relationship with himself. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, or that we might have right standing with the holy, just, and perfect God. At the cross, God took our deadness caused by our sin, and he placed it on his own son, who in John 14 said, I am life. Jesus took the full penalty of our sin upon himself. And just as Jesus conquered that sin, conquered death, and was raised from the grave, we too have been given new life in him. We are made alive in Christ. That's what Ephesians says. We have been raised up with him. Our position before God is secure now. We are Beloved children now, we are righteous. We are alive now through Jesus. So why have we been saved? Because God is rich in mercy. And how was it accomplished? Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's what Ephesians tells us. And what I love about this passage is the Apostle Paul who wrote it to this church. He's just laying out the gospel, the good news about Jesus He's laying it out there. We needed saving, but God, through his son, saved us. But if you notice, as we were reading, and even as I've been talking, Paul, he's using past tense language here. 
if you pick up on it, you were dead, now you, you were made alive. And so what is that about? Why the, why the past tense? What's the change? Who are these people and what happened to them? So Paul, he's writing to Christians. These are people who, have follow, who, who follow Jesus. These, these people are alive. They're not dead anymore. So in this section, he's just reminding them of what is true of them as Jesus followers. So he continues in eight through 10. It reads, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we should walk in them. So Paul, he's just reminding them here of what's true of them and and in this reminder he includes a key word, a key word that is consistent with the entire biblical narrative. The word is faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. Grace being the unearned, unmerited, free gift of God given to us in Christ Jesus and faith being trust in Christ Jesus. Saving faith is confidence and trust in the one we don't yet see but believe to be true. Faith involves knowing, believing, and actively trusting that God is who he says he is and that he will deliver on his promises. And faith is expressed by throwing ourselves on the mercy of God, saying we need to be saved, and my only hope for being saved is in Christ Jesus. That's faith. So you know, there are tons of analogies and word pictures about faith, what it is, how to think about it, and, and that's all great. You may already be thinking one right now. Lock that in, hold it tight. Um, because they're really helpful, but some years ago I came across an analogy about faith that goes like this, and I'm gonna paraphrase a little bit here. So faith that receives Christ is as simple as an act, as, a, as, when, you, as when your child receives an apple from you because you hold it out and you promise to give it to them if they come. What the child's hand is to the apple is faith to the perfect salvation of Jesus. The child's hand does not make the apple. It doesn't change the apple or contribute to the apple. It only receives it. That's faith. So my guess is that none of you have children, uh, but you get this. You've all been a child. You know what it's like to just Reach out and receive something your parents give you. So I have an eight-month-old. His name is Chip. He's really great. And um, he should be sleeping right now. I hope he is. Um, but so he's, he's in a really cool phase right now, and he's, really, he's starting to be really um, active and responsive to what Natalie and I um, do with him, and it's super fun. And I experience this analogy with him all the time. I love, as his father I love giving him good things. And when he sees me extend my hand, offering him something good, 
He just reaches out and grabs it. He just receives it. He's clumsy. He's, he's fallen all over the place. He, need, he still needs so much help from us, but he sees our hand and he just reaches for it. And oftentimes, my hand's empty. I'm just giving him myself, saying, come here, and he grabs hold. This is faith. Saving faith is receiving the perfect gift from God our Father. And as the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see the beauty of Jesus, what we see is just his hand extended out to us saying, come, receive from me this good gift. Faith is grabbing that hand in full surrender. So you see, Paul, he was writing to a people that were saved by grace through faith. At one time, they didn't have faith. At one time, they were dead. But upon hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and the Spirit opening their eyes to receive him, they believed. They had faith, which led Paul to remind them of everything that is true in this passage. This is what's going on. Faith was the change for them. And so this means what distinguishes people from being dead to being alive is not their cultural or ethnic background. It is not who their parents are. It's not how they grew up. It's not their involvement in youth group. It's not how good or bad they think they are. It's not how they're perceived by others. It's not what they did or didn't do over the weekend. It's not anything else someone could try to build their life on. It's only through faith, receiving the perfect gift of salvation in Jesus. That's the change. And so I recognize there are many people in this room, and you may be all over the place when it comes to faith, and that's okay. I'm really glad that you're here, wherever you are in that journey of faith. But what is true of all of us and all of humanity is that our only hope we have in this life and in the next is built on but God. How he intervened through sending his son Jesus. That's our hope. We would all be hopeless if that was not the case, wouldn't we? And so some of you here may have already put your faith in Christ. Maybe you're a Jesus follower. You've reached out. You've grabbed hold of Jesus. And so this passage, it serves for you a reminder of who you are, what God has done for you. So my encouragement in this is keep coming back to this living, this well of living water. I pray that you will never lose sight of the beauty of this truth, the beauty of the gospel, no matter how many times you've heard it before or when you first believed it. Keep coming back. On your best days, come back here. And on your worst days, come back here. This is where we run for the rest of our lives. Because as Tim Keller reminds us, he's a pastor in New York, um, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. 
And for those who would say, you know what? I haven't. I, ha- I don't have faith in Jesus. I see the ways that I've rejected God. I, I see the ways I've been trying to build my life on anything and everything else. And I recognize I'm, I'm dead. I am dead. And I need a Savior. My deepest encouragement to you is to grab hold of Jesus tonight. Believe the truth about God and his grace offered to you in his son. Throw everything else out that you've been holding on to and just reach out and grab him. He delights to save sinners. He is rich in mercy. He will not turn you away. Come to him. And so the way, if you're in that place, the way you can do that is through prayer. Just talking to God, having a conversation with God about where you're at. He's not concerned with your words. He wants to know your heart, where you're at. You can grab hold of Jesus tonight. And he will. He will give you life. And so if you're in that spot, you can do that by yourself for sure. But if you want to talk more about that, or you want to pray with someone, you can do that. I'll be in the back after this, and we've got some folks on our prayer team that would love to pray with you, talk with you about that, if that's just where you're at tonight. And if you're somewhere mixed up in the middle of all that, and you're like, I kind of get this Jesus thing, I don't really, I'm new to this, I don't know about this yet, then let's talk about that too. You're in the right place. Those are good conversations to have. And I want to have that with you. Because that's why crew exists. That's why we're here. That's our whole deal, is to continue to call students, invite students into a relationship with God through through Christ. But also, it doesn't just stop there. We want to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. We want to help you take that next step of what's next, whether you're brand new to faith or, or you've had faith for some time. So please, don't leave here tonight if you're just like, I I feel stuck. I don't know what to do. We want to help you in that. We want to walk alongside you in that. So you can fill out the card. You can talk with me or someone else or just talk to the friend you came with. If you're feeling alone or confused at all in your relationship with God, let's talk about it. So we're going to close and go into another time of worship, which is good. But I'm going to read one more verse for us. This is Romans 10, 13. It says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. This is really good news. Salvation and life is offered to those who call out to Jesus. So as we go into the time of singing and and prayer, let's call out to him. For those that have already called out to him, Continue to call out to him, thanking him for what he's done in saving us. Remembering the hope and salvation that we have in him. So let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, salvation, life, hope, order, belonging, love is only found in you. We acknowledge the ways that we try to find those things elsewhere. But in clumsy, weak, 
faith. We cry out. And we say that those these things are only found in you. To God, in this moment, would you help us do what your spirit is, is calling us to? Whether responding in worship or reaching out and grabbing you for the, for the first time. Meet us all where we're at tonight. And would you be honored because you are great and you're really, really good. And we love you and we trust you. As we call upon your name, we will be saved. Thank you for that gift. Amen.